Good evening, Grace Church. Let's all stand together. It is great to see everyone here tonight. Welcome to the house of God. Welcome to Grace Church Campus. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, so glad that you're part of our service tonight. Let's take a moment and pray. Um, we, have, we have several needs tonight. Uh, some have been mentioned, some unspoken, but we need to, uh, we need to pray tonight. And a uh, very special request has been turned in. I'll, I'll just say for Terry, if you'll just remember the name Terry tonight, we need to pray for that need. Uh, asked us to pray. And God knows, and God is able, God can work. Uh, if you have a need tonight, would you make it known by the lifting of your hand? Amen. God sees every situation, and he is going to work. I believe that. Let's go to the Lord with praise, and let's also go to the Lord with our needs tonight. Jesus, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. Lord, I'm thankful for another opportunity to be in your presence, another opportunity to be in your house, Lord. And I know that your presence is here because there's more than two or three gathered. Lord, move in our midst tonight. Lord, anointing Kids Church, anoint here in the main sanctuary. Lord, speak to our minds and our hearts. I pray for Terry, God, that you would undertake, that you would heal to the uttermost, that you would move. Lord, I pray for every request mentioned, spoken and unspoken, God, that you would work and you would do the work that you have set out to do. Lord, we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this evening. God bless you. I do want to remind you again, we mentioned it Sunday, don't forget your Mission Louisiana pledge. Again, Mission Louisiana for uh, our pledge uh, for the um, improvement of the tabernacle and boys dorm and campgrounds. And God is moving, God is working, and we're getting closer to seeing that become a reality. So don't forget that. And then also, as mentioned on Sunday, Sister Murphy is conducting a bread-making class in the A-Center this coming Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Uh, make a note of that. Uh, she's she's going to be talking to you about the health benefits of this bread um, and, and the wonderful way you can make it at home from scratch. And it tastes good. So uh, you'll want to be a part of that. Amen. Just before Pastor comes uh, with Bible study and to continue the prophecy series, I did want to just share a quick thought with you. Uh, Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, the 19th century lay preacher who founded Northfield Seminary and Moody Bible Institute, once explained how his faith developed, how this great man of God, this man of faith, how his faith developed. He explained it this way. He said, and I quote, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and just strike me like lightning. Just wake up one day and be a great person of faith. But he said, faith did not seem to come. It never did quite happen, quite like that. And then he said, one day, I continue to quote, one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study. And faith has been growing ever since. Amen. Amen. Um, I'll just say that Bible study is so valuable. And that goes for Bible study in our personal prayer time. It goes for or our personal prayer devotion and Bible study. It also goes for our collective study like we're doing here tonight. Uh, if you want to be, if you want to grow in God, 
you want to grow in faith, if you look at, at folks and say, wow, they're, they're great people of God, well, one good way to, to become that and be that is through Bible study. And so I compliment you on your choice of being here in Bible study tonight. I believe we're going to grow in knowledge, but I believe we're also going to grow in faith and understanding of the Word of God. Amen. God bless you tonight for being here. We're looking forward to what Pastor has for us. Clap your hands to Jesus as Pastor comes to the pulpit. Thank you, Brother Dave, and uh, I as well salute you tonight for your choice in being here tonight. Thank you very much for that, and it's good to see all of you here tonight, and uh, have you been keeping up a little bit about what's going on in Israel and all of that? Um, I would imagine that most of you are, at least at some distance. And uh, learned just before coming to church tonight that now the the U.S. military is involved in conducting some airstrikes in Syria. And um, all I know is I want to stay close to the Lord and I want to uh, just stay sensitive to what's going on in our world as I believe time uh, continues to wind down. Uh, I want to jump right into our, our study tonight, um, and we've been on the track of, of prophecy, especially as it pertains to the nation of Israel, and uh, Lord willing, um, this coming Wednesday night, if I have my dates right, we will not have service the week of Thanksgiving, but I think we have another week before that, so next Wednesday night, Lord willing. I'd like to talk to you about some property, prophecy that will pertain to us. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about the rapture um, next Wednesday night. So make plans to be here. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about the importance of a red cow is what I'm going to title this. And um, if I ask just an average person with without any Bible knowledge or what have you, would you believe that a red cow could cause a holy war? People would probably chuckle and say, well, that just sounds absolutely ridiculous, but that is exactly what will ultimately happen uh, pertaining to this subject that we're all familiar with is the subject of the red heifer. Um, I want to thank Sister uh, Sandra Eli for sending me this picture um, it's a photograph of a red heifer that's in Israel and they believe that this one is perfect uh, according to the standards of the law uh, it has no white hair or black hair that they can find and uh, it is perfect in, in that way it's never had a yoke around its neck and uh, I understand that this cow is about a year and a half to three years old. It will need to be at least three years old before it's worthy of the sacrifice that the Jews will be wanting to make with that cow. This sounds like a very strange subject to a lot of people that something like this would be of such significance in prophecy. Um, 
it, it sounds foreign to us. Um, I don't know anything about cows to start with other than they provide milk and some of the most awesome meat you'll ever put in your mouth. Uh, that's about the extent of my knowledge. I know there's people that does amazing things with their with a cow hide and what have you. But this cow, or at least what it represents, possibly this cow, uh, but at least what it represents is probably one of the greatest fulfillments of prophecy um, that we are experiencing right now. What you have to understand is I know personally of people. Uh, there was a, a man, he was a, a UPC minister. His last name was Lot, L-O-T-T. -T. He lived in uh, Mississippi. He claimed that he was, his family lineage goes all the way back to Lot, the nephew of Abraham. Um, he about went bankrupt some 20 plus years ago trying to breed a perfect red heifer for the nation of Israel and it is no one has able been able to pull that off that I know of and I try to stay somewhat tuned into this kind of stuff nobody's been able to do this in at least the past 20 years so for this one to show up on the scene is a huge fulfillment of prophecy. And for you to say, well, the cow needs to be another, you know, two years old or whatever before they could sacrifice it. They won't need this cow until at least three and a half years after the rapture. So if you rewind that to where we are now, the trumpet could sound any moment. I'll remind you of my, my friend, man that I, I love and respect is Jeff Moses uh, talked to one of the priests Heim Richmond in Jerusalem a number of years ago probably 20 years ago if my memory serves me right maybe even more than that and this priest told brother Moses that um, when we get our red heifer you, when you hear of it that we have our red heifer to sacrifice, you walk out in your front yard and throw your hands up in the air and wait to hear a trumpet sound. That was a Jewish rabbi telling him that. If that was the way they felt back then, how do they feel now? Uh, especially with what's going on in the Middle East. I've never seen, I never thought I would see such anti-Semitism in our world as we are now. You have to understand even time, during the times of, of, of Hitler, Germany did not know the extent of his hatred for the Jewish people until that war was over. That's a historical fact. The nation where it was coming from didn't know what was going on. The United States didn't realize how bad it was. England didn't realize how bad it was. But it was mostly limited because very few people had knowledge of it. Even though Hitler persecuted the Jews unbelievably horrible it was him and his regime it wasn't a worldwide thing uh, I just learned this week we had a man here in the United States just an elderly man protesting holding a Jewish flag and, and gotten a, a confrontation with someone on the other side of it and beat him in the head with a bullhorn a megaphone man fell hit his head and he died um, the violence 
that's happening all across college campuses now, people being bullied if you're a Jew. Uh, Russia is experiencing it in part of Russia. They stormed an airport here a while back in Russia. Uh, Palestinian people, Arab people, heard a plane that just landed, came in from Tel Aviv, said, we want the Jews. We want to stab them and shoot them to death, they said. So the persecution of the Jewish people that Jesus said would happen in the last days, we're seeing it now around the world. Huge fulfillment of prophecy. So let's jump into our Bible study tonight uh, with that little uh, segue, if you will, into it. So what about a group of people in Israel that are anticipating a red cow that is somehow connected to a future temple that would be built in Jerusalem, that will have to be built in Jerusalem. On March the 14th, 1952, a scroll on two rolls of copper was discovered by an archeologist in Qumran in one of the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. I've been there, uh, right there by the, the Dead Sea. We were shown the opening where the two little shepherd boys went in and found the Dead Sea Scrolls. This scroll, this copper scroll, was the last of 15 scrolls that were found. And this particular copper scroll was translated by a French archeologist and scholar. And that roll, or excuse me, that scroll called the Copper Scroll is on display in the country of Jordan in a museum. This particular Copper Scroll is of tremendous interest to the Jewish people and to all Christian people that keep up with prophecy in our world today. Because in this Copper Scroll was discovered a statement referring to the ashes of the red heifer, something that has been absent in, Jew in Jewish history for at least since Titus moved into Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroyed it. So for at least almost 2,000 years, uh, the Jews did not have anything in their possession with an inference of the ashes of the red heifer uh, written on it. So from the perspective of most of the Orthodox Jews, in particular the Messiah-seeking Jews, the ashes of the red heifer are a necessity when the temple is built for the cleansing and purification that they will need to do to be prepared for their coming Messiah. This is a very, to the Jewish people, and I, I want to direct you again, folks, if you want to know about prophecy and, and, and see it fulfilled and appreciate it, keep your eyes on Jerusalem. Um, the temple is going to be rebuilt there, and the Antichrist is going to take this cow or one like it three and a half years into the tribulation period and offer it on behalf of the Jewish people as their priest for their cleansing to accept him as the Messiah. And as right before that happens, they're going to realize that he is a fraud. They're going to break their covenant with him, and it is literally going to set in motion 
what is going to culminate in what we know of as the Battle of Armageddon. The Antichrist is going to turn his back on the Jewish people and he's going to begin making these allegiances and alliances with Russia, the king from the north, with China, the king from the east. The king from the east is going to cross the Euphrates River. It's already The Bible said it would be dried up. They already have a dam built across it, so it can be dried up. Um, the Persian, the, the uh, Arab nations, for the most part, all of them is going to join in. Some of the northern African uh, nations, Egypt and so on. And they're going to push the nation of Israel, attempt to push the nation of Israel literally into the Mediterranean Sea to annihilate them from the face of this planet. It was striking to me, it was striking to me that the, the, the Muslim slash Arab slash Palestinian movement right now has this slogan, slogan that they're using from the river to the sea, meaning the Jordan River being their easterly boundary, the Mediterranean Sea being their westerly boundary. They're wanting to push the Jews into the sea. They're starting that right now. They're starting to think that way. And the Bible said this is what they will try to do, and they would be successful if it were not for Jesus returning back to this planet, the Bible said, with the brightness of his coming and destroy all of them to save the, the children of Israel, the, the Israeli people. So some raise the question <clears throat> that a new heifer is not enough. A lot of the the Orthodox Jewish people believe the new heifer, the live heifer, is not enough. They need the previous ashes from the, the last heifer that was sacrificed. They need those ashes to mix in with the ashes of the current live red heifer that they'll sacrifice and burn and, and mix their ashes together. They believe that the ashes of the previous red heifer that was the last one sacrificed is somewhere in a container called a kalal, K-E-L-A-L. There's a tradition that says the previous heifer's ashes mixed in with the current heifer's ashes is just an additional insurance policy for their cleansing, for this, this cleansing ritual process that they'll go through. Um, why is that? Uh, this, this statement I'm about to read to you came from the Temple Institute, and it said some opinions maintain that the newer ashes were always mixed together with a combination of the previous ashes of the red heifer. One way of understanding this is to, the view, is to view this mixture of old and new ashes as being yet another precautionary measure, actually a kind of a insurance policy. So to this end, there are groups today searching for the original ashes or the, the last ashes uh, that was sacrificed. Uh, and they believe, the Jewish people, these Orthodox Jews believe that in this copper scroll that was found in 1952, the location of those ashes are given. That scroll is in the country of Jordan and they don't have access to it, uh, to study it and what have you. Uh, if 
the ashes from the last red heifer being sacrificed is required, then obviously Israel will have to make some kind of a deal with the country of Jordan uh, to get that scroll back. So to this end, there are groups today searching for the original ashes, uh, and, and they again believe it's the location is found in that copper scroll. But again, and this is interesting to me in this subject, the requirement of taking the ashes from the last heifer sacrificed is the requirement for that is not found in the Torah, which is the Jewish Bible, if you will, which is the Old Testament. Uh, it, don't, it don't say you have to do that. But according to the last article I just referenced, this tradition has, has no basis in the reality of biblical law, the Temple Institute says, or Jewish practice, even if the ashes could be found and proven to be authentic and uncontaminated, they still don't believe it's required. The Temple Institute went on to say, but in the meantime, let the truth be known, there's nothing to stop the people of Israel from raising a new red heifer from birth and preparing it in the manner we have described in these pages. And raising, this is very interesting to me, everybody listen, and raising children in purity to carry out the procedure. So they believe that even if this sacrificing this red heifer doesn't happen in their lifetime, they want their children to have enough knowledge to be qualified as priests someday in the future to sacrifice the heifer. They, they're, they're banking on their kids doing it. So they're raising their kids. They're training their kids. They're teaching their kids. If they're teaching their kids to be ready to do that, what should we be teaching our kids knowing what we know. So is a red cow necessary for that to happen? The Temple Institute went on to say that on the contrary, we may be in doubt as to the true nature of any discovery that is unearthed, talking about the ashes of the last one sacrificed, whose authenticity cannot be completely verified, but a perfect heifer born and raised under a controlled environment, which this cow is that I showed you a picture of, they say, would be fit to be used for the temple, and that it that is precisely what is being done today, they said. So let's see where the significance of all of this is and how can we tie it in uh, to what the Bible says, where we're living today, and so on. And I believe you're going to really appreciate the remainder of this study tonight. So for those who have interest in the future of Israel, the rebuilding of the temple, is a red cow necessary? The answer is absolutely yes. Well, you may ask, well, where's that in the Bible? Uh, I do understand that it's not a scripture reference that we make very often. You find it, you find the foundational study for this subject in Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 19. In this chapter, Moses told, was, is told to take a red heifer, and the Bible gives to us the process that God gave to Moses concerning the offering, listen to pastor, of this female, female cow. Now, first of all, it is very rare that it would be a female sacrifice because most animal sacrifices and offerings you read about, particularly in the first five books of the Bible, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're, they're, they're all male offering 
are male sacrifices. But this particular one in Numbers 19 is a female cow. Let me give you a, a very brief understanding tonight in this presentation of why that is. In Numbers chapter 19, verse 2, the Bible said that the red heifer must be female with no blemish and has never worn a yoke. It has to be perfect according to the standard of a cow and has never been used to plow anything like that. Verse 3, notice this, y'all stay with me. When the, the high priest is ready to offer up the red heifer, it has to be taken outside the camp. You take it outside the camp. Verse 4 said that you sprinkle, when you sacrifice the animal, you sprinkle the blood seven times toward the door of the tabernacle or the door of the temple. You sprinkle it, kind of as Brother Dave mentioned Sunday, he had the, uh, the hyssop in his hand, and you would sprinkle that seven times towards the temple of the door. Y'all stay with me. Verse 6, the, the God instructed Moses to, to, to instruct the high priest that you throw cedar, hyssop, and scarlet in the fire when you are burning up this now deceased cow. Verse 9, it says to gather the ashes in a clean place. Verse 12, the priest would then purify himself for three days after the offering of this cow, after it's, it's dead, it's been burned. Now the next three days after the offering, this is important, three days after the offering, the priest would purify himself. And then in verse, back to verse 9, the Bible said that water would be mingled with the ashes of that red heifer and then could be used for purification processes. So in other words, you were to take the ashes of the red heifer and mingle them with water and use that to purify yourself. To the high priest, if you had touched a dead carcass, if you were ritually or ceremonially unclean, you had to be purified to continue in this sacrificial process. So what would happen is that the ashes and the water of the red heifer would then and could then, when the priest is washing his hands, would purify him to literally stand, as, as, as the role of the high priest required, as a mediator between God and that whole entire nation of Israel and him going through this ceremony of sacrificing the red heifer would not only purify him, but it would purify the entire nation so that God could come and commune with them on these rare occasions when God would require this. We'll come to a little bit more about that in a moment. I want everybody to notice, no part of this cow came to the brazen altar. It was never brought to the altar. Even the blood of that animal was not sprinkled anywhere in the tabernacle or the temple. And the sprinkling, notice this, the sprinkling of the blood was not actually done by the high priest, but by the son of the high priest. No charge was given as to its being burnt in a clean place, but simply to burn it on the outside of the camp. You burn all of it, including the skin, the dung, everything. You put it, you, you put it all on the fire and burn it. It's called a red heifer. You can see that it's kind of reddish-orange in color, if you will. 
the red pointed not so much to the blood of Christ, but it pointed to the color of the earth. It was an earth color to God. Adam, the meaning of Adam means red earth. The flesh being the object of the purifying. Also to sin, uh, deep dyed as scarlet and associated with the flesh, according to Isaiah 118. So now what's interesting about the ashes of the red heifer is that this ritual of Numbers 19 is a perfect depiction of the crucifixion of Christ. In announcing this Bible study that we're, we're doing right now, I have mentioned that there would be nine red heifers sacrificed in the Old Testament. The tenth and final red heifer that they would sacrifice would not be a cow. It would be Christ. But they don't believe that he was their Messiah, so that's why they're going through all of this stuff for this red heifer, not realizing that the tenth and final sacrifice was Christ himself, and it was more than sufficient for the cleansing of anyone that would come to the cross of Christ. So the red heifer and the sacrifice of it was literally a shadow of what was to come one day just outside of Jerusalem, outside the camp, on a hill called Golgotha. I want you to notice again that this is a female offering. It's a cow. It's a female. It's a female offering or sacrifice. Why a female? And how does that pertain to the crucifixion of Christ? Christ died so he could have a bride. Christ died to build a church that would one day be his bride. The Greek word church is ecclesia, which means the called out ones. But in Greek, it's also a feminine word. And I think that's interesting, and it deserves our thoughts tonight. There are several other sacrifices made that, that were made that, that called for the female sex of the animal to be sacrificed, including when someone agreed to the Old Testament Nazarite vow. A lot of people believe, so do I, that even John the Baptist was under the Nazarite vow, which was still under the law of Moses. And Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment and completion of that, if you will. Um, but to end the Nazarite vow for someone's life, it required the sacrifice of the female animal, the female cow. I believe the most likely reason is that the, the purification rites originated in a very primitive stage when the female was thought to be the more sacred animal on account of its greater usefulness, especially and reproduction. And I think that's a very worthy note to consider as well. So now watch this. When you look at Leviticus 27 verse 4, it tells us that a singular vow of a female back in Old Testament times, when you look at Leviticus 27 4, it tells us that a singular vow of a female cost 30 pieces of silver. You will remember that Judas betrayed Christ. 30 pieces of silver you can really see the story develop when you go to the crucifixion of Jesus I want you to notice that the red heifer could not have any blemish 
according to the standard of cows, it had to be perfect. We know according to Scripture, particularly 2 Corinthians 5.21, that Jesus knew no sin. He himself was a perfect sacrifice. You'll also notice the red heifer was sacrificed outside the camp. In Numbers 19, verse 3, and in Hebrews 13, 13, the Bible says that we are to suffer with him without the gate, to suffer him with him on the outside of the gate. Jesus was crucified, not in Jerusalem, but outside of Jerusalem. Neither could anyone be buried within the city of Jerusalem. If they were, the city would be rendered unclean. Jesus was even buried outside of the city. This next point is a, an, an extremely interesting to me, and I don't think it's an overbearing of Scripture or in trying to interpret Scripture, applying Scripture. Next, the priest would sprinkle the blood, and I asked you a moment ago to remember this. He would sprinkle the blood seven times towards the door of the temple. Notice that Jesus shed his blood from the following areas of his body. He shed blood from his head. He shed blood from his back. He shed blood from his left and right hands and from his left and right feet and from his side with the spear. Jesus shed his blood, sprinkled his blood from his body from seven different areas of his body. Such a perfect fulfillment of the sacrifice of the red heifer. Let's go a step further. The Bible says that you were to throw and sacrificing the red heifer, you were to throw cedar wood in the midst of the burning of the red heifer because of its durability and odor. It's noteworthy that Jesus was crucified on a wooden cross. The cedar involved in the sacrifice, the cedar wood of the heifer, now Jesus is crucified on a wooden cross. The Bible said that the Romans put hyssop to the mouth of Jesus because hyssop was thrown in the burning of the red heifer because it was a cleansing agent that was used for the cleansing of ulcers and his brother Dave mentioned Sunday also leprosy. Scarlet was a part of this as being the life color and used as medicine to strengthen the heart. They put a scarlet robe on the back of Jesus so everything you read in Numbers 19 pertaining to the sacrifice of the red heifer uh, is a beautiful type of the crucifixion of Christ and Jesus fulfilled all of those things in his crucifixion. The Bible said that when the priest offered the red heifer that he had to purify himself for three days. And we know of course that Jesus was in the tomb for three days. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 9 verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So notice the writer is mentioning the ashes of a red heifer or the burning of a red heifer. Now, according to Jewish historians, there were nine red heifers offered from Moses all the way to the, through the destruction of Herod's temple in 70 A.D. So from the time of Moses 
until 70 A.D. when Titus came in and overthrew Jerusalem, there were nine red heifers sacrificed. They believed for them to be restored. The Jews believed for them to be restored back to their Messiah. They have to sacrifice a tenth and what would be a final red heifer. They're preparing for that today, but they do not know they don't have to. Jesus was that tenth and final red heifer. So the first offering was made by Moses and Eleazar, the second by Ezra the scribe upon the Jews' return from Babylon at the end of the Old Testament, the third and fourth by Simon the righteous, and two more by Yochanan the high priest, the seventh by Elijah, the eighth by Hanamel the Egyptian, and the ninth by Yishmael, the son of Piaba, around 1516 A.D. The Jews believe the tenth will be offered by the Messiah at the time of the rebuilding of the third temple. As they put this next picture on the screen, if you can see that good, um, I actually have a, very, a picture very similar to this that I took when I was in Jerusalem. Um, I was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you can see, I didn't bring my pointer, but you see the big wall right there in the foreground. You see the two arches. Y'all can see that. That's the eastern gate that we talked about last Wednesday night that's closed. It's still closed. And right in front of it, in front of it on what would be our side of that, is a small cemetery to prevent Jesus from entering into it, uh, the people think. So Jewish history also says that all red heifers were offered on the Mount of Olives because from there the priest could see into the door of the temple through the eastern gate. Now you see the big building in the back that's kind of gray with that big gold top on it. We know that's the Dome of the Rock. That's the uh, second most important place of worship uh, for the Muslims. But that's where the Temple Mount is. That, that, that site is approximately where uh, Solomon's Temple was. Zerubbabel's temple and Zerubbabel's temple in the New Testament became Herod's temple uh, where Jesus went one time through the crucifixion process so the high priest it's believed and those that would assist him would, would sacrifice the red heifer on the Mount of Olives so he could see the temple that will be there when Jesus returns it'll be there they'll build a temple there don't know how it's going to happen but it's, it's, it's going to be there. And he'll be able to see the doors of the temple so he can sprinkle that blood seven times towards uh, the temple. One more thing, when the red heifer was offered, the priest would catch the blood in his right hand and that symbolized the Jewish people. And then he would, he would catch the blood coming out of the heifer, out of its body. He would catch it with his hand. But then after blood had ran out of the heifer he would then dip his left hand into the blood scholars believe when he would let the blood run into his right hand that was a type represented the Jewish people literally in a blood covering and then the Gentile people was represented by him uh, dipping his hand uh, in the blood so all peoples was represented in this ceremony that they did and then he would point toward the temple, meaning that one day God would open up the temple, not only to the Jews, but to also the Gentiles. That is exactly what happened when Jesus died and rose again. It 
gave a brand new covenant to the Jews, but to also to the Gentiles. So, okay, so let's go back for a moment to the, are y'all with me? I feel like I'm going kind of fast. I'm trying not to, but is everybody with me? Y'all give me a good nod. Thank you. Uh, let's go back to the copper scroll that was found in uh, Qumran in 1952. Uh, it was translated and spoke of, it's, it, it, it's, it spoke of at least 64 burying places for treasure. And according to some of the Hebrew scholars, one of the things it mentioned was a container that was to hold the ashes of the red heifer. And um, as, as I mentioned a moment ago, they don't know exactly where that is. It could be in one of these 64 places. But in the 1980s, there was a group of Jewish scholars and archaeologists that looked in the caves of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Nothing was ever found. And the question is, is that of necessity for us today? So as Christian people today, we understand that Jesus was the tenth and final red heifer offered for purification for all people. However, in the eyes of the, Jewish, of the Orthodox Jews who want to rebuild the temple for the Messiah, they must find a perfectly bred red heifer. And according to these Orthodox Jews, it would take the, it would take the ashes of a red heifer to purify the newly built temple because in their minds uh, they are unclean. So notice this tonight. Most people believe that the third temple must be built by Jewish people. Notice that, first of all, they don't have to have the red heifer to begin building. But the first two temples built in Jerusalem were headed up by Jews, but had Gentile people helping them with construction, and we went through that history a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Solomon was a Hebrew, but he had the country of Lebanon which is still in existence today, help him build his temple. But when it was finished, he had to have the priesthood or the Jews purified because of the help of the Gentile people. When Zerubbabel's temple was built, Ezra and Nehemiah also had Jews help build it. Herod the Great had Zerubbabel's temple added on to in John chapter 2, verse 20. And he wasn't even a Jew. He was of Isaac... He was of the Isaac Esau family lineage, but his wife was Arabian. The wife of Isaac and the wife of Esau had Arabian blood in them. The Gentiles have always been involved in the establishment of a Jewish temple for worship. The Temple Mount has always belonged to the Jews, even though that is heavily disputed today. Um, it belonged to the Jews in the time of Herod, Zerubbabel, and Solomon, David being the one who purchased it in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 22. At the time, it was called the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Most of you remember that story. So this is the biblical record of the Jewish people owning and purchasing the Temple Mount some 3,500 years ago. And because of the revision of history and all the wars that have taken place, the Temple Mount is now controlled by the Muslims and has been for quite some time. Uh, the Dome of the Rock, I mentioned a moment ago, it's the second most holy site for Muslims. It's not, it's a third. Uh, I'll correct that. Uh, but that's what's there now. In addition, on the southern end of the Temple Mount is the Al-Aska Mosque, which is also a Muslim temple. And the age-old question is, how is it ever going to happen that Muslims will allow Jews or anyone else to ever worship on the Temple Mount. I don't know how it's going to happen. 
I hear a lot of opinions and all of that. I even have my own. But based on Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, and Revelation chapter 11, during the early part of, a, of the seven-year tribulation period, there's going to be something built or constructed on the Temple Mount where the people will go and worship on the Temple Mount. I'm not going to speculate how or when any of that's going to happen. I don't know, and I don't know anybody else that does. I will say this, that Muslims worship on Friday, and Jews worship on Saturday, and Christian people worship on Sunday. Maybe they'll work it out. I don't know. Personally, I believe after being there and looking at observing it from uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, as you just saw in that picture, uh, I believe there's room for more than one temple on that site. And I believe this is what I like to think, that the Jews will build their temple. They'll get permission through some kind of a peace deal with the, the, the Muslim people. They'll, get, they'll be allowed to build their temple, and the Dome, Dome of the Rock will be there. I've actually heard Bible scholars even say this. But you remember the story when they, the, the Philistines captured the Ark of Covenant, who were Old Testament Palestinians, and they took it into Gaza and put it in their temple erected for their idol Dagon. And when they got up the next morning, Dagon was on its face. It fell down. It crumbled in the presence of God. I just like to think they'll build that temple in that dome of rock. It'll just overnight, it's just going to collapse to the ground. That's my opinion. There, there may not be a, a shot fired to, to make all this happen. I do know it was discussed during the uh, Bill Clinton presidency with the PLO leader, Yasser Arafat, if you remember him. Uh, they talked about dividing the temple site up into three parts. The Muslim site would remain under their control, and then there would be a small Jewish place, and the third would be for the Catholics that would be controlled by the Vatican. Needless to say, none of that ever happened back then. However, we do know that something is going to happen in the future relating to Jerusalem, the Jews in the Temple Mount. How all that's going to happen, obviously, is only known by God. It's interesting that people, media, governments, churches, etc., have been interested in the birth and offering of a red heifer cow and interested in how it's going to be used in the rebuilding of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Again, we know that Jesus fulfilled all the ceremonial sacrifices of the law of Moses. He fulfilled all of them. No one in history can make that claim, fulfilling every detail of the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12, the red heifer in Numbers 19, the brazen serpent lifted up in the wilderness in Numbers 21, 8, and 9, all three of these are a perfect type of Jesus being crucified, and he has fulfilled all of those sacrifices when he went to the cross. The Temple Institute now believes that they have identified at least one candidate and possibly two more red heifers. So is there a red heifer in Israel? As of July the 16th, 2023, this year, Hundreds of visitors have flocked to Shiloh in Samaria's Benjamin region on, on, of, of that time of July 16th to welcome a biblically pure red heifer. This 22-month-old cow, which was brought to Israel from the United States, found a new home in the ancient Shiloh heritage site where the biblical tabernacle once stood. In the coming month, the article said, two more heifers will be transported to, to, to the town, and a center will be open uh, there to, dedic to dedicate researching this phenomenon of this, of this red cow and so on. The heifers will be kept in a fenced-off area 
visitors will not even be allowed to touch them. This mysterious red heifer, they said, is first mentioned in the book of Numbers when God instructs Moses and Aaron to take a perfectly red, unblemished cow upon which no yoke was laid. The animal is subsequently slaughtered and its ashes are used for a purification ritual. This discovery of an entirely red heifer is a rarity. Jewish sources state that only nine were slaughtered in the period from Moses to the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD. According to the 12th century sage, um, I'm not going to attempt his name, uh, they believe that their Messiah, as they're referring to him uh, with this name, will offer the tenth and final red heifer. So in keeping with biblical law, the heifer put on display in Shiloh is completely red and has never borne a yoke. This is an exciting and exceptional event for the entire Jewish people. Um, one of the, the spokesmen said, we are already in touch with researchers and promoters around the world who are waiting to come here with large groups. Uh, we have returned to the site of the tabernacle in Shiloh and are bringing back the Jewish past for the future of our people. And the article goes on and on about that. So again, the heifer must be at least three years old. So in this case, this cow would have another 10 months to go before it can it can be sacrificed it again will be rechecked over and over before it's sacrificed and at that time all the hairs are still reddish brown and don't have any marks or blemishes the heifer will then be qualified to be sacrificed it remains its remains will be burned and special woods and what have you as we talked about and the resulting ashes of that burning will be mixed with water so after this process any jew who comes into contact with the uh, the ashes is cleansed from all impurities, and we may be able to walk upon the Temple Mount. Even though there are millions of Jews who need to be purified, allowing the ashes to last up to, they believe, 10 years. So the birth of a red heifer has special significance. The tribe, the men of the tribe of Levi, I've known this now for 20 plus years, are being trained in every office of the priest. They've, they've been trained. They know what to do. And the, I understand from my study and research, there are a group of men in, in Jerusalem today that are prepared to serve in any capacity the priesthood requires to welcome their Messiah. They believe it's that close. I want everybody to keep in mind, they're looking for a Messiah. He won't really come to them until the end of the tribulation period which is at least seven years from now, minimum. Jesus has to come back for us first and then go seven more years before they see that he is their Messiah. So if they're expecting this right away and they're already trained and prepared and what have you, where does that leave us on the clock of prophecy? So I'm going to ask all of you tonight to give... give especially give attention give your time and attention if you didn't catch things I said tonight go back and watch it again do your own study do your own study they've never had a cow worthy of sacrifice until now it's been almost 2,000 years that we know of that they've not had a cow They've not been in a place where they could sacrifice a cow. They've never been this close where they could sacrifice a cow. And now 
we know they've never had one until now. So if they believe that the, their Messiah is coming eminently for them, then where should we be in our faith? I'm not trying to scare anybody. This isn't a scare tactic. This is a reality. And I can see tonight very clearly where God could orchestrate this whole thing going on in the Middle East right now. Could be this, this last segment. I know we have wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all that. I'm, I'm into all of that. I'm, I'm going to teach all of that. It's coming. Plan to go into some of that. Um, but when it comes to Jerusalem, this is where God's interest is. These are the people he's going to save their literal life with the brightness of his coming, the Bible says. With ten thousands of his saints with him. That will be at the end of the tribulation period. If the Jews are preparing for this moment right now, shouldn't we be preparing for even a sooner rapture than they're expecting to come with their Messiah? I want you to pray about it. I want you to do everything in your power to keep your attitude right, to keep your spirit right, throw your heart into the kingdom. Just we have to be ready. We have to be ready. Jesus said, <coughs> when you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your head for your redemption draws nigh. So now, not a, now is not a time to be playing games. Now is not a time. It's not a time to be negligent. There's people here tonight. You know, you know, you know. Other people know you know. It's not time to be messing around out in the world and playing games and all of that. I believe we could hear the trumpet sound tonight. I believe it could happen tomorrow. There's nothing holding him back. I don't see any more prophecy, and I've heard scores of other people much smarter than I am in this subject say just in the past two or three weeks, there's nothing left to be fulfilled. Jesus could have Gabriel blow that trumpet any time. We're here. I believe we're here. This whole Middle East thing has a different feel to me, and it does millions of people around the world. People feel very concerned about it this time. We're now even seeing in our own government, our own president is beginning. He's showing signs of turning his back on his commitment to Israel in this war. It's all over the news. Uh, he's asking them for a three-day ceasefire, and they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Um, they're going to finish their cause. They're very determined. And this could signal the United States turning its back on Jerusalem, and this has to happen. They're going to try to take on the world by themselves ultimately when he comes back in the brightness of his coming to destroy them at the Battle of Armageddon. And when you go over to the nation of Israel, I had the privilege of, and I'll say this and, and conclude. <clears throat> the Battle of Armageddon is going to essentially be in the same area where Elijah had the confrontation with the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal and whatnot. It's going to be in that uh, Megiddo Valley. I've been there. I saw it. I took pictures of it. And I just, I, I, I can't hardly get my head around the idea that the Bible said in that valley the blood is going to flow up to the horse's bridle. You can have blood that deep from the people that's going to be destroyed by Christ in the brightness of his coming. Um, we're there. All the platform has been set for that. 
Israel has an air base not far from that. You can actually see, we, we saw jets take it off when, when I was there in 1999. So folks, make sure your house is in order. Uh, we may be here Sunday, we may not. And uh, either way, it's fine with me. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Um, pray before you go to bed. Have your kids pray before you go to bed, whatever it takes. God bless you. You're dismissed. And uh, we'll see you Sunday morning, Lord willing.